morning, transitioning here, we're going to move into the sermon for today. And uh, if you haven't figured out what it is about yet, there might be like a sign somewhere around here on the stage. But before we get into the teaching, let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for just the way you've met us in worship, God, the way we've seen you at work in different countries, God, here in the U.S., through different people and missionaries, God. And I pray that may we also experience your presence through the power of your words this morning, God. We thank you for that which has been prepared, Lord, and uh, we come with ears ready to listen, but also hearts, God, willing to be changed. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you've been following along online or in-house, over the last few weeks we've been doing some 101 summer school sessions. We started out with daily living, and last week we looked at finances, and this morning we're talking about relationships. We'll be in the book of Matthew today, but before we go there, I want to build this up to where we're going. And so bear with me as we do this. I'll be sharing a couple stories with you. So let me start by saying that people being properly related to one another was important to Jesus. And he spoke with great clarity about the importance of human relationships. He wanted good relationships to be maintained and to reestablish broken relationships. This was a central concern to him. According to his teaching, a person who was not properly related to others could not be properly related to God. People loving God by loving each other was of ultimate significance. And today, we are living in a society that does not stress the importance of human relationships. Other things are more important than the ultimate significance of people being properly joined together. For many people, the bottom line is more crucial. And the question of what is the bottom line is commonly asked about almost every matter. For college students, the bottom line is a grade posted at the close of a semester. For business people, the bottom line is the final figure in the profit and loss column. For athletic teams, the bottom line is a number posted on the scoreboard when the final second of the game takes away. An author that I read often in my schooling is C.S. Lewis. And in his book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis, the great Christian apologist, draws a stark picture of hell. Hell is like a great vast city, Lewis says, a city inhabited only at its outer edges, with rows and rows of empty houses in the middle. These houses in the middle are empty because everyone who lived there has quarreled with their neighbors and moved. Then they quarreled with the new neighbors and moved again, leaving the streets and the houses of their old neighborhoods empty and barren. That, Lewis says, is how hell has gotten so large. It is empty at its center and inhabited only at the outer edges because everyone chose distance instead of honest confrontation when it came to dealing with their relationships. You might have heard someone say something like this. Look, she's the one or he's the one who said that about me. 
Let her or him come and apologize to me. Or we may go to the same church, but that doesn't mean I have to share a pew with so and so. Or how about it'll be a cold day in July before I accept his or her apology. That's all well and good, I suppose, if you don't mind living in hell. And so I ask, are we really so willing to give up our relationships with others? Relationships that have come about and been forged by our desire to follow Christ. Nowhere, and I mean nowhere in the New Testament gospel, will you find Jesus saying that the first order of things is to always be right. You won't find that. But he does have a great deal to say about forgiveness, about relationships, about reconciliation, about service and humility and vulnerability. In 1997, the following letter appeared in newspapers throughout our land. Dear Ann Landers, and she was a columnist for over 40 plus years. I believe she passed in 2002. But someone wrote this to her. It says, you recently printed a sweet how we met story. The woman said at the end of World War II, she sat behind a soldier in church. He knew all the lyrics to the songs, so she figured he couldn't be all bad. Later, she learned he was a doctor. Three months later, she slipped on an icy walk and injured her arm. That same doctor insisted she stay in the hospital, and he visited her twice a day. When she was discharged, he asked her to the movies to celebrate. They subsequently married in the same chapel where they had met. Now, Dr. Leninger, published author and minister, writes, Here's how that same story would go if it happened today. Dear Anne, last week I attended church services and noticed that the soldier behind me knew all the words to every song. I figured anyone who knew those lyrics was possibly pious. I bumped into him a month later after cussing him out and telling him to watch where he was going. I also learned during that encounter he was a doctor. Three months later, I slipped on an icy walk and injured my arm. After suing the property owner for all I could get, this same doctor treated me and insisted I stay in the hospital. He then made twice daily visits to see how I was doing, which made me suspicious. I complained to his supervisor and filed a sexual harassment suit. I was discharged in January, and the doctor asked if I would like to see a movie to celebrate. I told the police he was a stalker and applied for a restraining order. But the doctor asked me to marry him in the same chapel where we first met. I called the FBI because they had to search his apartment to make sure there were no shrines built to me and no bodies hidden under the floorboards. However, I married the guy anyway because, after all, doctors earn six figures. Signed, tuned in and woke from Seattle, Washington. I just had to add that part in there. See, that letter may be a bit extreme, but would you agree that something tragic has happened in our society today and that something has to do with human relationships? 
We're less trusting, more suspicious, fearful of opening up ourselves to others. Some of us have no truly close friends. We're isolated and alone. We wall ourselves into gated communities. And worse yet, we don't even know the other people behind those walls, much less the people outside. Therapist Will Miller wrote a book which he titled Refrigerator Rights. He says, we need people around us who have what he calls refrigerator rights. That is someone who can come into your home or house and feel comfortable going into our refrigerator to make a sandwich without our permission. Miller argues that too many Americans suffer mentally and emotionally because they have too few of these kinds of close relationships. Now a word of caution. Because... I am the kind of person, I love to clean. And so I used to go into my mom's and my grandmother's fridge, even our fridge today, and I'll just throw things out. So you want to ensure that you have permission to do that. Because if you grew up in my home or even when visiting my grandmother, you want to make sure you have permission to even be in the fridge. Like, don't be weird about it. Don't just show up and do that. Like, remember, Miller says, we need to develop these kinds of relationships. That's a key word, develop, all right? But he's right. Because studies show that our society is suffering from our lack of involvement with one another. Not only is our society suffering, so are we as individuals. Sometime back, a team headed by a Harvard social scientist tracked the lives of 7,000 people over nine years. That's a long time, I just got to say. But here's what this team found. People with the fewest personal relationships were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. Three times. In fact, people with bad health habits, such as smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, or alcohol use, who had strong social ties, lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated in other words it is better to eat dessert with good friends than to eat broccoli alone all right and i'll take you up on that if you want someone to eat dessert with you i'll be there all right i'll do broccoli too but Harvard researcher Robert Putman notes that if you belong to no groups but decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying over the next year by half. And that right there, my friends, is a good tagline for our life groups. Like, we can say something like, join a life group and cut your risk of dying over the next year by half. (laughs) You know? Or like, that could be LifeSpring's tagline. Like, we can put it out there on 28th, you know? Join LifeSpring Church or another church and cut your risk of dying over the next year by half. With all that said, let's see what Matthew chapter 18 has to say about relationships. Because relationships are important. They are. And I'd say that you need to believe that or you cannot appreciate Jesus' words today. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 18? And as we've been doing the last couple of weeks, you probably should have received a handout on your way in with some fill-in-the-blanks. 
And our first one for this morning is this, point one, be willing to confront personally. Be willing to confront personally. Let's read from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. These verses show us that relationships matter. We need our relationships to be strong, and we want them to last. We just read it, but let's look again at what Jesus' word says. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. This is the most interesting teaching to me. Another translation puts it like this. If your brother sins against you. Now, this doesn't mean your brother or sister in literal sense, though it could. And has anyone ever seen a family relationship grow strained or even break? Don't raise your hand on that. I don't know why I was raising mine, but I've seen that. It happens, doesn't it? My guess is that in this room today, we've got possibly at least one member of our family that we haven't spoken to in several years. Someone said something malicious. Someone took a prized possession from mom's estate without asking. Someone borrowed money and never paid it back. The reasons are many and varied. But we all know families where relationships have been splintered and torn. But Jesus isn't talking about our brothers or sisters by blood. He's talking about brothers and sisters within the church community. The early church was like a family. After all, many of these people left everything to follow Jesus. And of course, as you know and I know, church families can be broken and filled with strife just like normal families. Additionally, I believe today that we can also interpret brothers or sisters as anyone with whom we have a strong personal relationship with. A healthy person will have many such relationships as we've already noted. Therefore, we're bound to offend each other or step on each other's toes unintentionally or intentionally at times. Life Spring is no different than any other church in that people will offend you here too. I will let you down. But the verse tells us clearly, if your brother or sister sins against you, if your brother or sister offends you, go and point their fault out between the two of you. So we got to be willing to confront personally. Personally. Which brings me to our second point, and it's this. Be willing to confront Privately. Privately. Let me tell you something. Matthew 18 works. It works in marriage. It works in a friendship, business, with neighbors, and any relationship. Think about it. When I sin against God, He doesn't tell Debbie about it. 
He tells me about it. When I sin against God, He doesn't tell my staff about it. He doesn't tell you about it. He tells me. Thank God He doesn't blog about it. Thank God He doesn't tweet about it. Thank God He doesn't do a reel on it. Thank God He doesn't put it on Facebook. He doesn't talk about it to anyone else. He tells me about it. The Holy Spirit convicts me and He confronts me. What God does for us, we should also do for others. When a friendship has been fractured or a relationship has been ruptured, confrontation is for the purpose of rescue, not retribution. That's how we should approach our brother or sister. You're not trying to win an argument. You're trying to win a brother or sister. You're not trying to avenge a wrong. You're trying to restore a relationship. That is why the next step is crucial. And Jesus says, tell him his fault between you and him alone. That's how the ESV puts it. The way to restore a relationship that has been ruined or ruptured is to go to the right person. And there is only one right person. And that is the person who has done you wrong. This is important. Whenever conflict occurs... Keep the circle of people involved as small as possible for as long as possible. Given we're not talking about anything criminal here, all right? If something criminal in nature has happened, we have laws of the land in place to address those. But if someone hurts you and you go to any person, before you go to that person, you have gone to the wrong person. Something I realized this week There is a goal in the word gossip. I hadn't seen that before. Do you know what gossip is? Gossip is when you go to the wrong person about a person who has wronged you, and then you just wronged the person who has wronged you. This isn't like any Webster definition or anything, but I'll say it again. Gossip is when you go to the wrong person about a person who has wronged you, and then you just wronged the person who has wronged you. When you go to a person privately, I'd like to think that we approach those situations not trying to win an argument, but you are trying to win that person. You're not there for condemnation. You're there for restoration. In other words, if someone you care about hurts you, make an attempt to heal the relationship as quickly as possible, even if you are not at fault. What sound practical advice this is this morning, hmm? And wouldn't it be great if everyone who was estranged from a brother or sister or a friend or co-worker or spouse would pick up a phone and make an appointment to sit down with that person who has offended them, with that person who has wronged them, to iron out their difficulties? Am I a dreamer? I guess so. But you've got to be intentional with your relationships. In fact, I'd take it a notch up and say you've got to be so intentional with your relationships that even before there's an instance of possible offense, you address it. Like, why not work upstream? Hmm? And you're, you're like, what does that look like? And let me tell you, this man right here, Pastor Dan, I believe that he's created in the image of God. Just as I am. And if I have an issue with him or he has an issue with me, 
which we haven't had those. We don't have an issue going on. All right. I'm just saying. (laughs) But we'll sit down and talk it out. But one of the things Pastor Dan has also taught me is that he's very good at also working upstream. When George Floyd's death took place, and just before I continue into that, there's an Afro rhythm beat that says calm down, calm down. So before I get into this, just calm down. All right, everyone, just calm down. When George Floyd's death took place, within days, in fact, the next day, I was working for him at that time, and he said, can we talk? How are you doing? How's your emotions? How are you feeling? How are you processing this? He had a guy in his office from another country, had never been in a situation like that, but he realized that this could be affecting him. And I don't want this to affect our relationship because we're working in this together, and we don't want that to bleed over into the church. So let's talk about this. He was working upstream. He's done that with immigration issues. It's actually one of the reasons why we're here, actually. Debbie and I, when we moved to the U.S., we moved to work on immigration issues. And over the years, and we're doing it by the books, some of those things have changed over the years. And this is also something he had never had to process before because he had never hired someone from another country. But then there were some changes, and he called. He's like, man, does that affect you? Or how does that affect you? And sometimes it did, and sometimes it didn't. But he was working upstream. And so I encourage you, in your relationships, be so sensitive to them that you work upstream. Work upstream. Now, that's just extra for you, all right? Where was I? Be willing to confront privately. And if someone you care about hurts you, make an attempt to heal the relationship as quickly as possible, even if you are not at fault. If you think this is an easy teaching by Jesus, then you've never had someone hurt you before. Feelings of betrayal, anger, hurt, bitterness, resentment can sometimes overwhelm. Like, have you ever been there? I know I have. Additionally, after a while, if not dealt with, it may become a matter of pride. And we say something like this, well, I'm just waiting for them to approach me first. Like, have you ever heard that? It happens. And the sad thing is, the closer the relationship, often the more intense the anger, the resentment, the bitterness. And it is very, very difficult to take the first step. Yet, Jesus tells us, That this is what we must do. It doesn't really matter who is at fault. All that matters is the relationship. If a relationship is important to you, sooner or later, we would need to swallow our pride and take the first step. If your brother or sister sins, Jesus says, go and point their fault out just between the two of you. But listen to what he says next. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Which brings me to point three. Be willing to confront patiently. Be willing to confront patiently. 
Suppose you do the right thing. You go to the right person and do it in the right way, and that person rebuffs you and rejects you and doesn't listen. That person refuses to admit that she or he has done wrong and refuses to make things right. Listen to verse 16. It says, But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. This made me think about how a parent might go to Walmart at times. They might lose a child at Walmart. Don't raise your hand if that has happened. But what does that parent do? Well, as a parent, you go back to that lost child in Walmart. And suppose at first you go looking for your child and you can't find that child. What do you do? Like you get on an intercom or you ask someone to get on an intercom and I'm looking for so and so. You get others to help. Why do you do that? Because you don't want to give up until that child is found. Just as God doesn't give up on us, we should not give up on others. Jesus says, in this case, take one or two others along. What is the purpose of doing that? First of all, When you take another person with you, you're showing them that you are not on a personal vendetta against them. Also, you are showing this person how serious you are about restoring a relationship. The other reason is, if the person still refuses to listen, then you have other people that can confirm that not only have you done the right thing, and you shouldn't be puffed up about that, but that said person is either still, still has a fault or doesn't want to reconcile. Bringing other people along also brings both parties or persons involved objectivity as they are not emotionally involved as you are. Like don't bring someone who is your best friend and who is not able to be like independent of your friendship in the sense of taking your side in the situation. Bring someone who can be fair into that situation, someone you can trust. Because it also brings accountability to both parties when you do that. And so what if that doesn't work? What if you've done all of that? Well, let's look at verse 17. It says, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, says Jesus... There may come a time when you have to end a relationship. And I want to be very careful with this. Some relationships are sacred, particularly the marriage relationship. But there are times when marriages end too. And I don't want to give anyone the idea that I'm advocating divorce or for the severing of a marriage relationship. I'm not. However, at times, not every relationship can be healed, particularly in the case of abuse, and that's varied. Not every relationship can be healed or even should be healed. You may have a friend who brings out the worst in you, who tears you down, who makes you question your essential self-worth. There are some relationships that should be severed. There are parents who have faced the dilemma of a child who's hooked on drugs, who's stealing, who's responded to their every effort to heal the relationship by taking advantage of them and it tears your heart out but there comes a time when you've got to face reality some relationships cannot be healed unless the other person is willing to make some changes see we love jesus's story of the prodigal son but the prodigal has to want to come home and sometimes that never happens so relationships matter 
And if you have a relationship that has been broken and can yet be healed, then I encourage you to take the first step. But not every relationship can be healed. At such times, we need to turn to our primary relationship or relationship with God. If a relationship that is important to us cannot be healed, we need to reach out to friends, particularly friends in the church, as Christ suggests, or a counselor or a therapist. But the most important place we will turn to is to God. We may pray to God to heal the relationship. We may need to pray to God to heal us if the relationship cannot be healed, to help us accept the inevitable and to keep us from bitterness and resentment. But even more, We pray that this experience of a broken relationship will draw us even closer to God. For it is from our relationship with God, not with another human being, that we draw our strength and our identity. Because at times, reconciliation doesn't come. However, we are still called to forgive. Forgiveness is a part of every relationship. It is. And this is something that you you have the power to do if there hasn't been reconciliation. Forgiveness. So forgiveness is a part of relationships. Healthy ones for sure, but also those which aren't reconciled. Forgiving is not reconciling. It takes one person to forgive. It takes two persons to reconcile. You can forgive those with whom there's not the possibility a further relationship. Forgiveness is not going back. It's moving forward. Forgiveness is a conscious decision to move on. We forgive when we are ready to move towards a future unshackled from a painful past that we cannot undo. Forgiveness begins with a desire in the heart. We want something better for ourselves than we presently feel. Forgiveness is not a matter of ought. It is a matter of a per- Today's teaching can make you feel guilty or bitter, but it won't make you any better if you do, in fact, need to forgive someone. We forgive when we feel God's Spirit nudging us with an impulse to pull ourselves out of the sludge of our disabling resentment. Forgiveness is an experience of grace. That's what it is. Forgive as God has forgiven you. If you have never allowed your face to become greasy with the grace of God, and I purposefully put it that way. So let me say that again. If you have never allowed your face to become greasy with the grace that God alone supplies, you're not likely to become a forgiving person. We forgive out of humility, not from arrogance. We forgive from, his, from a need for him, not from narcissism. These examples of others encourage us. Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We've been in the book of Acts. And while he was being stoned, Stephen cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Even in death, he was able to forgive. Forgiveness is an act of surrender. You know, I grew up singing hymns, and one of the songs we sang was, All to Jesus I Surrender. Maybe you're familiar with that. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. Like, do we really mean it when we sing it? Are we willing to let go for hurts and pains or disappointments and sorrows? Can we bring them to the Lord and leave them there? See, revenge might taste sweet at first bite, 
but it gets bitter with the second and third chew. You deserve to be free of malice, anger, and bitterness, my friends. And the time to start is now. Time to start is today. And at this time, I want to invite the worship team to come back up front. I want to encourage you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, church. And let's work on our relationships. Let's work on our relationships. The worship team is going to close here in a song. And just feel free to choose whichever one you guys want. And I hadn't planned this. But I think there's always room and space. Relationships, it's a hard topic to hear about and to process and to think about. Because some of us might have hurts from parents, from loved ones, from past marriages. In my life, I've had to walk through a lot of forgiveness. One particularly hard scenario was when my brother was murdered. It's not a story that I share often. But it took every ounce of me to not take revenge in my humanness. And I had to lay it down. And sometimes you have to continually lay down those hurts and pains at the foot of the cross. And so I haven't asked the worship team, I mean the prayer team this, but I'm going to ask if you guys can make your way up front. And if you need prayer in a specific area when it comes to relationship or any other area, I don't want you to be looking at the people coming up and saying, man, they, they're working on forgiveness. We all need to work on forgiveness and relationships in our lives. But if that's you, I encourage you, don't leave here today without receiving prayer. Forgiveness is tough. My parents today, they're on the front lines of that situation. My brother had a niece out of that relationship. But the persons who murdered my brother are actually my niece's family members. I I don't tell you that for shock value. But my parents demonstrate forgiveness every day and walking that out. Every day. My niece lives with them. They're in constant communication and interaction with the mom. We've truly forgiven them. We have. But it was hard. It was a lot of wrestling, a lot of tears. For a long time, during the anniversary of my brother's death, I'd have nightmares. I'd be angry. And I had to continually lay it down. So I don't know what you're walking through this morning. But I'd encourage you. On that handout, there's some homework. It talks about talking to someone. At times, I had to speak to a pastor, a therapist, someone I trusted. I encourage you to do that if you need to. So before we go into this song, I'll just ask you to bow your heads and I'll pray for you right where you are. If you need further ministry, I'd invite you to come up front. Father, 
We sang it this morning, God. There's power in the name of Jesus. It breaks chains, God. And Lord, I know that relationships, it's a hard subject, God. And so I pray for each and every one of us in here this morning, those tuned in online, God. I pray that may your Holy Spirit wash over them, God. In the areas of whereby there might not have been reconciliation, God, where there's been broken relationships, where there's been yearning for a relationship from a parent or a loved one that has not been reciprocated or returned in that way, Lord. I pray, Lord, may we be reminded that you're faithful beside us in those circumstances, that you never leave us or forsake us, that you're in the midst of it, God. And so, Lord, if there's relationships that we need to mend, God, may we take that first step, Lord. There are relationships that can't be healed or ones that have been broken, God, may we take the first step towards forgiving as well. We thank you for your word, God. In your name we pray. Amen. And amen.